Good evening. Good to see everybody out with us tonight again as we continue what we began this morning. Uh, it's also a pleasure if you're visiting with us this evening to uh, have you among our number, and we invite you to come back at any time that you might ha- uh, have the opportunity. Uh, I always say, every time I get up here, I am not the regular minister. We have four other men who are much more talented at this than I am, and I encourage you to come back and hear them next Sunday night, or next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. Um, but we, uh, one really unique feature about Milwaukee Avenue is that every fourth Sunday, uh, men of the congregation who feel so inclined can sign up to uh, deliver a lesson from God's Word. And I'd say probably back in September, I felt so inclined. And now that it's May, I feel less inclined. But you can't go back on it. So uh, I'm up here and uh, I wanted to talk this evening about some things that we can learn from children or learn from babies. For those of you who don't know, my wife and I welcomed our first son last July, and I've already learned a lot of things from him. And uh, I just we were talking one day, we're just trying to clean the house and just you know maintain your house while you have an infant. And we just, or Mindy remarked, you know, he's just so pure and innocent and sinless, and he doesn't have any worries. He doesn't know anything that's going on in the world. All he knows is milk, and that's his life right now. And so it got me thinking, you know, how we should be the same way, and then kind of from that spun off other things that we can learn from children. Uh, There's also a song that I really like that also kind of inspired this lesson. It's a song by Eric Church, and it was never released as a single, uh, but it's called Three-Year-Old. And the song is all about things that he learned from his three-year-old son. And there's some humorous things in there. We're going to talk about that in just a second. There's also some spiritual things that he mentions, like the way that he loves his mom and how he talks to God and stuff like that. But just for, you know, comedic relief before we get into the meat of our lesson, some things that are mentioned in the song that you can learn from a three-year-old. The first one, use every crayon color at your disposal when you're coloring. If you don't, you're just leaving tools unused. A fishing pole sinks faster than a tackle box does which I guess makes sense. If your tackle box has air inside, it will float, and your, your fishing pole will go straight down. I don't fish, so I haven't tested this. I don't know. Maybe Keith can tell you. Nothing turns a day around like licking a mixing bowl. And this one I relate to. Every time Mindy makes cookies or brownies, just this afternoon, I was licking a mixing bowl, and it really did make my day better. A garbage can is a real good spot to hide truck keys. I don't have this issue yet. It's probably going to come sooner or later. And finally, my favorite, why go inside when you can go behind a tree? It's just more convenient. It's more fun. So those are some things that that Eric Church learned from his uh, three-year-old son. But this evening, I want to talk about things that we can learn from children uh, uh, that are referenced in Scripture, uh, some Scriptures that back up some things about some things that we learn from babies. Uh, Jesus talks about this specifically when he's questioned by his disciples, and they ask him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responds, and he calls a child to himself, and sets him among them, and says, truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this this passage, this, this series of verses, is kind of what this lesson is all about. So the first thing that we can learn uh, from children is that children grow rapidly and have a strong desire to learn. They soak up information like sponges. 
The Hebrew writer talks about this, saying, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God. Uh, the part I have highlighted and read there, leaving the elementary teaching. We're supposed to, of course, there's a foundation here, and we're going to talk about that, but over time, we're supposed to leave that behind and press on to maturity. So growth as a Christian is important. Uh, Peter talks about this. He says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Uh, whenever babies are born, the first thing that happens, at least after they get cleaned up, at least this is the way it was at Duncan, is that they eat. They long for that milk from their mother. Uh, and so this, the same way we, we should be with the word of God. Uh, we should long for that pure milk of the word. We should, we should crave it. And Why? This verse tells us, so that by it we can grow in respect to salvation. And that, that milk that these babies uh, eat every single day is what allows them to grow so very fast. Uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Uh, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ... As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. So not only does this verse tell us the importance of growing up, it also sets a goal for us to try and reach. And that is to, uh, to live up to the measure of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get there. It's impossible for us to get there because Christ was sinless, and we know from Scripture and experience that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. But that doesn't mean that we should stop trying to achieve uh, the way that Christ is and to emulate him as much as possible in our lives. The Hebrew writer again talks about growth. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. So this group of people has, has kind of backslid a little bit. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. So we start off again with this, this milk of the word, this basic, basic sustenance. And Duncan is... I'm going to talk about Duncan a lot tonight, so just get ready. Um... Duncan craves solid food by this point. He's, he's, he still has the milk that he, he needs every single day, but he eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if he doesn't get it, he gets really, really fussy. And there's an excitement to the solid food that he gets. Where if you crack open the bananas, his little hands start moving, his, he starts panting, he gets really excited for the solid food. So we should have that same sort of enthusiasm to move on from the milk of the Word and move on to the solid food, the things that are deeper and more mature for us. And the purpose of this is so that we can be trained to distinguish between good and evil. Duncan is little. He doesn't know the difference between good and evil. And he's learning that. Uh, but through practice, we develop this sense of good and evil uh, that we have to, to use. And uh, building on this milk with the solid food helps us to, uh, to know the difference and to choose the right thing. Peter again says, Applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see some building blocks. We see how things start with this basic you know, area of faith. And before we get into the building blocks, the, the word there in purple, uh, diligence, there, that's a verb there. Is that a verb? No, you apply the diligence. That would make it an adverb. I don't know. Anyway, there's a practice here that has to happen. If you're diligent about things, then you're going to be repeating it over and over and over. It's going to be a priority to you. So applying this diligence, we have to build on our faith. And Peter talks about the moral excellence, the knowledge, the self-control, the perseverance, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, and it culminates in love. And if you look at this list, and if you compare it to the fruits of the Spirit, you'll see some things that are very similar there. Uh, Brother Nathan Taylor gave a, a, a lesson in Bible class uh, a month or so ago about this. It was really good. So I'd encourage you to, to open that uh, Bible to Galatians and look at the fruits of the Spirit side by side with this list and see where they overlap. But the back end of this passage is kind of where I want to concentrate. It says, Peter says, For if these qualities are yours, if you possess them, and if they are increasing, if you're practicing them, if you're using them over and over and over, then they make you useful and productive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're practicing these things in your everyday life, you're going to grow as Christians and be a productive member of God's kingdom. Uh, next, babies also have a really strong desire to learn. Uh, I really like the passage, 2 Timothy 2.15. It's one of the first verses that I learned or that I memorized as a child. And I really like the King James Version because it starts with the word study. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the other uh, versions say there, but I really like the word study. So study to show yourself approved unto God. Spend time in the Word. Uh, read God's Word on a regular basis. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. We spend time in God's Word so that we can learn more about Him, learn more about His commandments, and learn more about His love for us. And all these things help us be approved before God. Timothy, uh, or Paul's letter to Timothy is continued in 2 Timothy 3, uh, where Paul tells Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. So the word continue there is highlighted. So these things, again, have to be practiced over and over and over. Uh, and we do that because it leads to salvation. The Word of God leads to salvation. And we're told here the purpose of the Scripture. Uh, we're told that it's beneficial for teaching, for correction, and uh, the Word is able to equip us and make us capable for good works in God's kingdom. So, second point. And I will say, some of these points are longer than others. That was probably my longest point. So, it's all downhill from here. Um, second point. Children are loud. Uh, I'm co currently co-teaching the preteen class. And that's like ages, how old are you guys? Like ages 9 to 12, something like that. Um, just on the brink of teenagerhood. And uh, I, it came my, uh, my, my turn to teach, and uh, the, the lesson we talked about was Jesus setting the, the child before the disciples when they asked him who's the greatest. And so trying to get the, the kids to kind of pick up on some of these points, I asked them, what are some words that describe children? And everything skewed negative. <laughs> They said, kids are immature, kids are silly, kids are dumb, kids are loud. And so I was like, well, I've got to you know, come up with something off this list that I can use. And so I thought, loud is a pretty good one, right? 
you hear a lot of babies in in worship. Um, Duncan just tonight during the Lord's Supper just decided to start talking and whining for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but y'all probably didn't hear it, but I heard it because he was in my lap. Um, but babies can be loud. Um, in our culture today, Christians are oftentimes maligned for our faith. We don't um, do the things that the world does. We don't approve of the things that the world does. And in today's culture, everything is about self-gratification. Do what makes you happy. Do it now. And don't worry about what anybody else thinks. But not only that, it's almost like if you don't get on board with it, then you, you have to be attacked in silence. Um, and in our, in, in our uh, calling for, for Christhood, we, we're supposed to do what God wants for us and not what, God, I'm sorry, and not what we want for ourselves. Uh, but we are told that we are not to be ashamed of Jesus. Uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And the words adulterous and sinful generation really stood out to me because I feel like that's what we're going through right now in our culture. Um, and the, the, the second part of this verse really hits me hard because if we are... If we're, if, we're, if we're silent, if we go along with things, if we're ashamed to be Christ-like, then when he comes back, he's going to be ashamed of us. And I cannot imagine the, the dread of Christ coming back and being like, I don't know you. I, I don't know you because you didn't, you didn't know me. Uh, and that just it's a really harrowing thought to think about it. We're not to be ashamed. We're supposed to be loud and proud to be Christians. Uh, Paul writes in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. Uh, we're supposed to be uh, proud to be Christians. We're supposed to be loud about the gospel uh, because it is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but not only that, we're not to be ashamed. We're also called to spread the word to others. And the most popular um, instance of this is the, the Great Commission that we read about in Mark 16 where Jesus is telling his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who is believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who is not believed will be condemned. So right off the bat, you've got this big verb, go. Don't stay here, go out there and preach. Another verb. Uh, and what do you preach? You preach the gospel. So go and talk to people about me, about my word, and baptize those people who submit themselves so that they can be saved. And finally, we're supposed to be loud in our praise to God. And certainly praise um, can be nonverbal in the way that we uh, live our lives, but there's also a verbal aspect of prayer that has to be there. Uh, we praise God in song. Every time we assemble, we sing songs together. Sometimes we assemble and only sing songs together. Uh, but I don't know if you noticed, it can be loud, right? We've got pretty good acoustics uh, in this building. And so that that verbal praise goes up to God. Uh, we also praise our Lord in verbal prayer. Certainly this can be nonverbal as well, um, but we see instances in the Bible of prayer being led publicly. Uh, we, we, we pray to God with our mouths. We praise him when we tell him how wonderful he is and how uh, thankful we are for his love and his mercy and the might that he has. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 71, my mouth is filled with your praise and your glory all day long. So there's a verbal aspect of praise here. Psalm 105 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonders. So just in two verses here, you've got five instances 
of things being said. You have the giving of thanks to the Lord, telling Him that you're grateful. You call upon His name. You acknowledge Him with your mouth. You make His deeds known among the people. So you're out there and you're talking to, to people about what God has done for you. You're singing to Him. And then again, you're telling of His wonder. So all these things happen with our mouths. And we're called to be loud, uh, loud uh, in, our, in our praise and adoration of the Lord. Uh, next, children are active. And again, you don't have to look very far before you'll see little bodies running around after church, up and down the aisles, in between the pews, and there's no shortage of activity amongst the children uh, in, this, uh, in this congregation. Uh, the Hebrew writer talks about being active when he says, let us consider how to encourage, and uh, some versions say stir up. I like that, so I put it in there. Uh, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're supposed to be encouraging one another to do good deeds, right? So there's action involved in being a Christian. Uh, we're supposed to be encouraging one another to do this, not abandoning our own meeting together. Uh, we're supposed to be assembling together uh, on a regular basis. Anytime the church doors are open, we should strive to be here, if at all possible. Uh, and just being here is an encouragement to one another. And that's exactly what the Hebrew writer says here, encouraging one another uh, all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is no shortage of opportunity to be involved in this congregation. And this is not really a problem that I see in this congregation because I feel like a lot of us are really involved in a lot of things. Uh, but if for some reason you're not, or maybe if you're visiting with us and you're looking for an active congregation to be a member of, there's lots of opportunities here. We have Bible studies on a regular basis. We have care groups that get together and plan social events and uh, fulfill the needs of those who, who have them. Uh, you have the opportunity to worship or to, to, to be a worship leader. You can put your name on the list to come up here and give a lesson. Uh, you can lead a prayer. You can lead songs. You can serve on the Lord's table. Uh, you can be a Bible class teacher, regardless of whether you're male or female. Uh, nobody's ever been told, no, I'm sorry, you can't teach this class. Like, there's a need for Bible class teachers. But, you know, if, if you're not a person that likes to be up in front of people or you don't like to talk in front of people, I bet you know how to use a vacuum cleaner, right? We have cleaning crews that, that come uh, once a month or once, once every six weeks. Uh, different people in different weeks. The building gets cleaned more often than once every six weeks. Um, <laughs> But uh, they keep the building nice so that we have a nice, clean place to come worship. And there's, there's a grounds crew that keeps our flower beds and our bushes looking pretty so the outside of our building is attractive. But all that to say, there's no shortage of opportunity uh, to be active in our congregation. So if you're not involved, find something to be involved in. I promise you it will be, it will be beneficial to you. The next, children love the Father. And again, I speak from experience with this. Duncan gets really excited to see me. When I come home from work, his eyes light up and his mouth drops open. Uh, sometimes he doesn't like to go to other people, including his mama, uh, if I'm holding him. Uh, but I know he loves me. And I see Mindy back there in the back saying, what are you talking about? You, you know it's true. Um, <laughs> but children love their fathers. And we are also called to love our Heavenly Father. In fact, it's the foremost thing that we're supposed to do. Uh, Jesus is, is asked, you know, what's the greatest law, uh, or the greatest commandment of the law? And he says to the Pharisees, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. That word all is highlighted. We're supposed to give every ounce of our being to God. We're supposed to love him with everything that we have, our heart, our soul, and mind. And really, love of God is the first foundation uh, of our faith. Um, It's what allows us to submit to him and strive to please him. Um, Most kids, probably, if they're asked to do their chores or something, they will do it most of the time. Um, Why? Because they love their parents. Or at least they they fear the consequences of not doing what they're supposed to do. But for the sake of this point, let's say they do it because they love their parents. And we're the same way. We submit to the Lord because we love him. And Jesus says this is the first thing, this is the most important thing that you can do uh, as a Christian, is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, Next, children are wholly dependent on their parents. Uh, and for us, we are to be wholly dependent on, on the Father. Uh, I asked the, the preteen class, and I think this actually came up today, too, in Carlton Talk, was how many of you guys, would, how long would you survive without your parents? And, of course, every hand went up and said, I can survive for however long I need to. They're wrong. They, they would not survive as long as they think they would. Uh, our parents provide every single thing that we need, especially when we're very, very young. Uh, if Duncan didn't have Mindy and I, he wouldn't last very long. and there, He would be taken care of by this congregation, I have no doubt about it. But um, I don't even want to think about you know, some of that happening. But nonetheless, uh, they're, they're totally and utterly dependent on their parents for their, for their every single need. And we're supposed to be the same way with, with God. Um, Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So our trust is supposed to be with God and not ourselves. Uh, in red here, do not lean on your own understanding. We're not supposed to do what we think is right. We're supposed to do what God thinks is right. We acknowledge his authority, and he leads us down the right path. Uh, I am also not a botanist by any means, so I'm not going to get into the science of this, uh, this illustration that Jesus gives. Um, but Jesus says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That very last verse there, apart from me, you can do nothing. If we are not in Jesus, then we are completely and totally worthless, spiritually speaking. Um, In this same, uh, I don't know if it's a parable, maybe it's a parable. In this illustration by Jesus, he says, "If if you cut off the branch, what happens to it? It dies. It cannot live apart from the vine. And it withers away and is tossed into the fire. And the same thing happens with us. If we are not uh, dependent on, on the Lord, then we will also be spiritually dead if we are cut off from him. A uh, longer passage here, uh, Matthew chapter 6, is a very popular one where we talk about the things that Jesus provides for us or that God will provide for us from a physical standpoint. So it's not just our spiritual needs that he provides for, it's also our physical needs. Uh, Jesus says, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, excuse me, are you not much more important than they? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the, the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, 
and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, he will not much will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. We see the things that are talked about here, the clothing, the food that Jesus mentions, and we, we read in the very uh, bottom of that verse that God knows that we need these things. Uh, he set them up. That's his design for us to survive. We have to be fed, we have to be warm, we have to be housed. Uh, but this, this provision from God is conditional. Uh, the, that word there, but, sticks out. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be provided to you. So we have to be striving uh, in God's kingdom above striving for the things that we need from an earthly standpoint. And then God will provide those things to us. And finally, children are innocent and pure. And yes, that is Duncan. I was going to work him in here somewhere. Uh, children are innocent and pure. Uh, Peter talks about this, saying, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So we have a nice little list here of things that are sinful, uh, bad characteristics that we might possess. And Peter says, get rid of these things, because these things defile you. Uh, you have to exercise these things from your life so that you can be pure before God. We see another list from Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. We have another list here of things that separate us from God. And if you practice these things, then you are declared unrighteous and will not inherit the kingdom. But, but babies and very young children, they don't even know what this stuff is. Or if they do know what it is, they don't have an opportunity to partake in it. And so they're not, uh, they're not defiled by these things uh, like we can be. They're not, they're not tempted by things like we can be. Um, and this was a problem for, this, for the Corinthian brethren here. Uh, but they were able to overcome it. It says they were washed and sanctified and justified. They were able to be made innocent and pure again. So how do we become pure? Uh, the people on the day of Pentecost asked Peter this very question, saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do uh, to be saved? And Peter tells them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There's a change when we repent. Just like Jesus said earlier, uh, if you, unless you change and become like this child, you will not inherit the kingdom. But repent and be baptized. And that baptism is what washes away our sins. John also talks about this and says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So we know that Jesus is the light, and if we walk with him, then his blood continues to, to wash over us and cleanse us. And it's not on the PowerPoint, but 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 21 says that baptism now also saves us, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is what allows our souls to be cleaned. So just to recap, 
the things that we can learn from children that we can put into practice to improve ourselves spiritually. Children grow rapidly and have a desire to learn, and so should we. We should be loud and proud to be Christians and not be ashamed of Jesus. We should be active in the kingdom of God. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. We should be holy and totally dependent upon the Father for every need, and we should strive to be innocent and pure before God. So coming back to our initial passage, uh, right there in the middle, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. We have the opportunity this evening. The water is prepared. If you uh, are, are lacking spiritually, if you want to become a Christian this evening, uh, the invitation is certainly open. Uh, if you uh, need the prayers of the church, if you have things that are, are tempting you or secret sins that you need to uh, confess uh, before the Lord, we have that opportunity as well. Or if you just need prayers uh, for, for your spiritual life, uh, we can help you in any of those ways uh, if you uh, come forward while we stand and sing.